I'm Dr. Gay Carlson, president of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry with the second of my screenside chats for our ACAP members. The topic of this is on what I'm calling improvised telepsychiatry or telepsychiatry when everything can't be perfect. My interviewee today, we're fortunate to have Dr. David Roth, who is an ACAP distinguished fellow, triple boarded, and president of Mind and Body Works in Hawaii. He is known uh, for his extensive work in telepsychiatry. He's on the ACAP telepsychiatry committee. He's been doing workshops at ACAP since 2014. He was doing telepsychiatry before it was really in, and in fact, since 2009. He's a pioneer, an expert, and a mensch. And I think you'll enjoy this interview um, as much as I've enjoyed talking to him. How about things you you had listed a bunch of things that um, that you've had some experience with doing, um, like uh, sort of little psychological tests, uh, testing working memory, testing uh, the child's ability to read, those kinds of things. How do you work that? So, over the years, I've accumulated some of those little things from different intelligence tests, like the Stanford Binet and such. So, uh, I've got cards that I use to carry with me. Matter of fact, I think I even still have it here. I have a cheat card deck that was developed by one of our developmental pediatricians. And this is something I would carry in my backpack to the neighbor islands. And it had the key developmental steps and tasks. And then it had little cheat sheets for when you do block design. And it had lovely reading samples for different grades and ages, as well as for digit span. And so I was able to just copy these things into essentially a PowerPoint slide. And I'm cons I can use those to share those things with the patient and have them read from that standardized text or replicate the drawings. Great idea. All right. Very good. Um, you mentioned in our previous discussion something that I tried a few weeks ago, and um, I think I can get it polished. And that is asking the parent to make a video of the child doing particular things and send it, sending it to you in advance. Tell me when you've used something like that. Uh, a couple of years ago, I started calling it a day. And so I had an outline, especially for my autistic patients or patients where we were doing developmental assessments, suspecting autism or something like that. And I had them shoot specific scenes for me. Uh, they would include some of the transition moments to, you know, having breakfast, the going out from the home to the school bus, the coming home from school, transitioning to bed. So we had a couple things with the expectation that they would hit a couple clips. Maybe the whole video would last five to 10 minutes. I didn't want them to have to expose too much of their family life in the process, but it gave us a real snapshot of the child and their natural ecology. And I found that very helpful. But then what turned out to be really cool is when we do telepsychiatry to the home, I was able to see the kid in the natural ecology. So in my last two evaluations where we changed our procedure, our typical had been evaluation in person, follow-ups on telepsychiatry, uh, I've had to start doing them with initial evaluations by telepsychiatry. And it, it reawakened my appreciation for how hard it is to develop the relationship and really engage the kid through the venue, unless you really emphasize that as part of your session. Because I had an anxious, nervous ADHD seven-year-old girl 
and a very oppositional, anxious OCD boy. And it really showed the difficulty of those two scenarios. And so what we ended up doing was, you know, trying to really engage them uh, with the help of the parent. And as a result, I ended up seeing exactly what the kid normally does when the parent tries to get them to do something, how they weren't listening, how they were squirming, how they did fold up their arms and then turn away from the camera. And I really got to see an in, uh, an in vivo experience of what was going on. And I queried both sets of parents and I said, this is why you're here today, right? And they go, yeah, you're seeing the real thing. And so that actually uh, is one of the reasons I don't do the day in the life videotape as much is because you can't uh -huh. see them in their natural ecology. Um, let's wrap up with some apps that you um, have found useful in your day-to-day uh, -day work. Um, there are a number of different categories that you gave me that looked really great. Um, why don't you talk, talk a little bit about those? Sure. So in telepsychiatry, we tend to talk about three types of technology. The older one is the store and forward. That's the typical radiologist gets the x-ray sent to another state where they're currently living and in the middle of the night for the other place, rate it and send it back. So it's a store and forward technology. Most of what we talk about in telepsychiatry is basically what you and I are doing today conducting a live, real-time, face-to-face interaction using cameras and phones. But then the other category, which of course has been emerging with, with great speed and the market is growing tremendously, is mobile health. And mHealth is the total of these online platforms, whether it's an app or a website that can be accessed from a mobile device that interact outside of our session with the patient. And so clinicians have the option of embracing this as a way of continuing the clinical interaction beyond the confines of the therapeutic appointment time and both using it as an intervention like online CBT or using it as a data assessment like a mood tracker or doing it as a specific technique like a breathing app, using it to build specific skills like mindfulness practices or executive functioning, using it to build more family communication and cohesiveness like a chore app. Uh, and then of course, looking at specific metabolic data gathering like some of the sleep apps or the medication trackers. There are a wide variety of mobile health tools that we can employ to extend our reach beyond the session time. That sounds like a whole separate interview, David. <laughs> and and actually, as, as I was thinking about the other thing that would go in that category that we haven't talked about because I don't think we we have time in this interview, and that is conducting therapy through uh, telepsychiatry. I suspect um, that's a um, it's it's clearly a, a, a not difficult. Well, I don't know how difficult it is, but it's it's another topic at, at least as far as I'm concerned. So um, let me ask you at this point, given what we've talked about, are there some things you'd like to add at this point? Some closing remarks, some things that you wished I'd asked you that I didn't ask you that you'd like to say something about. Well, first of all, thank you for the, it's been a wonderful chance to chat with you about these things and to, you know, have a, an opportunity to speak to our membership about things that I've 
thought were really cool and really important for a while. So thank you. There is a deeper dive that we obviously don't have time for today, but the two, the two things I would emphasize in that deep dive is you have to have a good understanding of how to set up and run the video conference well, both in terms of the technology, because something goes wrong every day and you have to be able to fix it, as well as how you set up the settings, both yours and the patient's because creating good staging, good lighting, good sound is really important to helping all of the rest of it disappear. Our, fun, our attention and our focus is completely on each other and not disturbed by what we've intruded and what we've allowed to intrude upon our environment. So essentially there's a million ways to get distracted during the session. And so part of being a good telepsychiatrist is intentionally limiting the distractions and therefore creating the focus. And then lastly, the, the camera flattens, doesn't show our emotions as easily. It doesn't convey the tone of voice as well. You can't see the whole, so it's harder to read the body language of people, but it's also harder for them to read our, our body language. And so we have to be more mindful of, as telepsychiatrists of our nonverbal communication, how we move our face, how we move our gestures within a frame, how we replicate touching of a handshake or other physical greeting with the gesture. We have to have some cultural congruence for how we say hello and goodbye. If I just end my session, just go, all right, and thanks, goodbye. It mm -hmm. would feel autistic versus smiling, waving. All right, I'll see you next week. We have to be more mindful, more intentional about our nonverbal communication to appear our regular genuine selves on camera the way we would naturally be our regular genuine selves in person. And it's those adjustments to our bedside manner that I think are the big difference between someone being their best self on camera and being a lower quality of their professional selves on camera. Let me ask you one, because I was telling you, I thought of you the other day when I was doing uh, an evaluation with somebody with a cell phone. And I remember Dr. Roth saying how far away the phone is makes a real difference in terms of, of how that interaction goes. And I remember saying to the mom, you've got a lovely smile, but about all I can see of you right now is your nose and mouth. How about putting the phone back a little bit so that I can see the rest of you? Um, how far back should they post uh, their iPhone in order to be able to cap in, in order to, to be on appropriate distance? Around two to four feet away. So if, it, if the phone can be propped up around eye level, that's ideal. And that way, when they're looking at our image, they're looking at the camera and it feels to us like we're making eye contact with each other. It's what we've been calling virtual mm -hmm. eye contact. And so if it's okay. positioned two to four feet away, there's enough of a frame that you can comfortably see the portrait of the person, a little bit of their environment and background, but they don't easily drop out of the frame. It's too, it, it takes a big effort, you can see, for me to get totally out of the frame at that two foot distance. And so that's why we generally recommend two to four feet. If you need to incorporate two or more people into the frame, you back up by another two feet per person. Okay. That's a good tip. So two, two, two to four feet, two feet, more feet per person, eye level. Absolutely. And then you really feel like they're sitting across from you. 
you want to tell people how many adjustments you made in my office before we started this interview? <laughs> he, he well, made me put a lamp on my desk, take a ladder out of the view. I never knew I had so much clutter in here. But the point of it is that um, I think it really is a different mindset from the way we conduct our office. But you have your office set up in a particular way, and you, at least I had my office set up in a particular way, mm -hmm. and that's the way it always was. I didn't give it any thought. And so what David is telling us is we need to we need to think of our space the same way. So do I, did I learn my lesson good? I believe you did. Good, all right. Well, I really appreciate your time. Um, this is, is a lot of fun. You're a lot of fun. you're a good teacher and a lot of fun to, to interact with. And I can see why you've done such a great job with the telepsychiatry business. And um, I think we'll probably have another time to chat. But for today, I think that's all we're going to have time to talk about. So thank you again. Thank you. For more information, please access the ACAP APA telepsychiatry toolkit as well as Dr. Roth's website, mindbodyworks.com. Thank you all very much for tuning in. This is Gay Carlson for ACAP's Screenside Chats.